We are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8 this morning. And as you're turning there, I just if, if it wasn't clear by the songs that we have been singing, uh, Jesus is the cornerstone. That is what we are going to be looking at this morning. We are going to look at this uh, scripture where Peter, in his letter, quotes uh, Isaiah from the Old Testament. He is repeating some things that we hear from Paul in Romans, and we... Um, have an opportunity this morning to come into the presence of God to hear what he has to say to us, to us as a church, to us individually, to hear his voice carried out uh, through the living word, to hear his voice that, of this truth that was spoken 2,000 years ago and has carried and echoed throughout the, the generations until here we are today. And we have an opportunity today to hear God speak to our hearts. We have an opportunity today to walk out of here transformed people. And this is a great opportunity. And we have this opportunity every week. But it's so easy for us to walk into the doors of a church and just expect routine. It's so easy for us to walk into the doors of the church and just to expect to sing some, sing some songs and to hear a preacher preach and to go home, or in this case, get a baked potato and then go home, and things continue as they have been. And I know that many of you are creatures of comfort, as most of us are. And I know many of you despise change, as most good Baptists do. But we need God to do something in our hearts and in our lives this morning. We are in trouble individually. We are in dire need of God to do something in our hearts and in our church and in our community and in this country and throughout this world. We need Him to move. And it doesn't matter how good the preacher is or in your case how bad God can speak through his word. God can speak through truth. But we can also come in here with hard hearts, refusing to hear what he has to say, hearing a sermon again, like the hundreds or thousands that you have heard in your life, reading the scripture again, as you have done many times before, many of you for years, being faithful and reading the word. And if we're not careful, we can walk out without being transformed by his word, by his power. And so this morning, as you come to him, which are the very first words of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, as you come to him, and if you remember... Last week, we talked about how we are to long for him, to long for his word as a newborn longs for milk. We, we've had a few newborns in our church recently. Um, how many of you know the sound a newborn makes when they're longing for milk? A anyone know that sound? Yes. Lord, please. I'm a faithful servant. Most of the time, no more children in my house. 
I mean, children out of diapers, sure. Let's adopt 10, Rose. But, but, when, but when it's your child, to an extent, when it's not 3 a.m. or you have, aren't exhausted, that cry can also be beautiful. Not all the time. And some of you are like, well, you don't have a newborn in your house right now, obviously. But it can be beautiful because it, it means that there's life. And it means that there, God has given, given us and blessed us with a human that needs us. And that's a good feeling. And so crying in that way can also be attractive but not if you're 20 or 40 or 60 or 80. We're to grow out of that, right? And according to 1 Peter, but really according to Hebrews, where we, we, where we also looked last week, remaining a baby in Christ is not a good thing. It's not healthy. It's not the way it's meant to be. If... I joked about needing to change my diaper earlier. But there's something weird, right? Or is that just me? About a grown person, healthy person, still acting like a baby? Wouldn't that be strange? If I was up here talking in gibberish and wanting my mom to come take care of me? And yet, I'm, I'm painting an uncomfortable picture on purpose. Because for a lot of us in the church and for a lot of churches, we have had many days, years in a relationship with Jesus. And in essence, for a lot of us, we've never grown out of that spiritual infancy. And we can blame the people who never grew up and in and, and, we have to take responsibility for our own actions. And so if, if we are spiritual infants, even though we have been Christians for a while, then that is on us. But if we were a healthy church, helping grow up spiritual infants, helping spiritual infants mature, then maybe that wouldn't be the case. And so churches across our world have to look at ourselves. We have to look at ourselves and say, what can we do to help people move from spiritual infancy to maturity. And I read a quote this week, uh, and I can't remember the guy who said it, but he said, um, and I, if you want this quote, I can get, I've got it written down so I can get it to you um, later. But he said that I've never met a mature Christian, only maturing Christians. And so what are we doing to help Christians mature? And so with that said, as we're longing for more, as we have experienced God's presence and we want more of it, with that longing, we come to Him. But what if we don't have that longing? Because how many of you know that sometimes there are seasons in our walk with Jesus where rather than, rather than our hearts being softened and, and us just melting in his presence 
How many of you have experienced times when our heart has just gotten harder and harder and harder? And it seems like it takes more and more for God to get our attention. It seems like we've been stagnant for months. And, and just as a, when a pond is stagnant and it's not aerated, stuff begins to grow on it. It does not remain pretty. And sometimes that's our lives. And maybe you're there this morning. Maybe as I'm saying this, you're thinking, that's me. And what I want to say is, before we even begin to read about when we come to Him, as we come to Him, we need to long for Him as a newborn baby longs for milk. And so my question to you this morning, before we even transition into verse 4 through 8, is do you long for Him? And be honest. Be honest with yourself. When was the last time you longed for Him? When was the last time that you just wanted more of your Savior? Wanted more of your Lord? Wanted a freshness to your relationship with Him? Wanted Him to wake up your heart that's been dead or asleep? When is the last time that we have come into His presence in a way where He has stirred us. And that stirring led to obedience and maturity. I can't answer that for you. I know that for me that sometimes those are long periods. And so what we're going to do before we even start this morning is we're going to have a time of prayer. And as we pray, I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I know that we're in pews and as we're seated, sometimes it's uncomfortable to push by people. But if you need to come to the altar this morning and you need to ask God to wake up your heart, if you need to come to the altar this morning and ask God to give you a longing for Him as a baby longs for milk, if you need to do that this morning, then come to the altar. You respond to God in whatever way He's leading. But don't just sit there with a hard heart without any intimacy in your fellowship with Jesus and just listen to another sermon. Don't do that. You respond to God in whatever way He's leading you right now. We're not even going to have music. It's just going to be silence. You and God, you go to Him and you respond to Him in whatever way He's leading you. God, we need you to stir something inside of us. 
Lord, we, we need you to help us to have zeal for you, a burden for things that burden you, passion for things that you're passionate about. Lord, help us to become more like you. Lord, when you walked this earth, you gave us an example of how to live. And we've never seen compassion like you have. So, Lord, help us to have compassion like you have compassion. Lord, no one desired a relationship with the Father like you did. Help us to desire that relationship like you desired. God, no one loved like you love. Help us to love God and help us to love others as you have. And help us to long for you. Lord, we fall into ruts. Those of us who have a relationship with you, Lord, we've, we fall into ruts sometimes and, and, and we don't know our way out. Lord, we just feel like we're stuck in that same direction and we need you to rescue us. Lord, we desire to have a passion for you as those throughout history who have loved you fervently, who have lived for you earnestly. And God, we need that right now because we have friends and family who don't know you. Lord, we have people all over this world who, who don't have the, a relationship with you. And Lord, if your word is true, which we strongly believe that it is, then they need you. And you have given them us so that we can go and tell them. And so, Lord, stir us and send us and help us to be obedient right here where we are today. Lord, help us to see what needs to change in our life in order for us to be completely sold out to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, it says, As you come to him, remember, longing for the spiritual milk, the pure spiritual milk, so that we can grow up into maturity, into salvation. As you come to him in that way, as you come to him, a living stone, this is him referring to him, a living stone rejected by men. This is Jesus when it says him. It's referring to Jesus. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Jesus is alive. And when he put on flesh and came to this earth, here he is, the savior of the world. And did we welcome him as a king? We rejected him. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So we are with Jesus. He has adopted us into the family of God. He is the cornerstone, as we will see in just a second. We are living stones, and we are building something for God's glory. We're not building. God's doing the building. We are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And next week's sermon is going to be all about a holy priesthood. So 
as I'm going by this, I'll mention it, but don't think I'm just skipping over this. Next week we're coming back um, and we'll focus strongly on this. But we are being built up into something that is alive, and, and this is the body of Christ, right? If we were to think of a physical building and we were to build it brick by brick, and it's being built up to serve a purpose. And, and the purpose would be for us to have a lighthouse for which we can come and worship God here and to serve God from here. This is our, our base of operations where we come together and worship together in, in corporate worship. But then we, we leave this place and we're sent from here and we go to be a holy priesthood for the whole week. We are to be who God has called us to be. We are to be the Christians that he has called us to be. And he is building us up. If we are Christians, if we are followers of Jesus, and we are a part of a local community, church community, then we are a piece of what he is doing there, and he is building us up for a purpose. And I'm excited about what God has done in our church since, since I've arrived. It's, it's one of the reasons I came here is because of the things that I've heard he has done in the history of this church, the, the men and women who have grown up in this church, who have, who have been raised up in this church, and who have gone to serve him, whether it's pastors or missionaries or ministers going to serve him, or teachers and janitors and whatever your career is, going to serve him right here in our community or right up the road in Fort Smith or wherever you work. And here we are today. There's a history that has led us here. There are good things about that history and there are bad things about that history. But here we are today and God is building us up into something. And each one of us plays a part in this. And we have to be based on the cornerstone, which is Jesus. We have to be with him and in line with him. We can't just be, if, if you're a, a brick in this building, and as we're building the wall, we decide we're just going to put this brick over here out of the way, it's not being very effective. Or let's say that we're going to turn this brick to be out of line with the rest of the bricks. Well, then that's going to cause a lot of problems down the road, isn't it? If we continue to build along that path. And so what we have to make sure that we are doing as a brick as a stone that's a part of this that God is putting together, is we have to make sure that we are in line with the cornerstone, who is Jesus. We have to do things His way, not our way. It doesn't matter what your pastor wants, and it doesn't matter what you want. It matters what Jesus wants. And if what we want isn't in line with what Jesus wants, then we're going to get ourselves in trouble. We're going to be an ineffective church at best and a disobedient dying church, dead church, eventually at worst. So we have to do things his way. So as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In, in, in ancient times, people would bring sacrifices to God and it would be a living animal, a living creature. And now we bring our living sacrifices, 
we bring our worship to Him. We sing our songs of praise to Him. We bring our obedience to Him. We bring modern day New Testament sacrifices to Him, which is us. We bring ourselves. And we do things His way. And that is our living sacrifice. We, we are His. Verse 6. For it stands in Scripture. He's quoting Isaiah 28, 16 here. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. What if God tells us to do something radical, like move to Alabama? You're here, so I'll pick on you. And we do it. What if God tells us to do something radical? Like, love the guy who hates us. Then we do it. What if God tells us to do something radical, like obey his word? We do it. Is it all going to go our way? Is everything going to go as we hope and wish in this lifetime? No. But when it's all said and done and we're standing before the throne, are we going to be put to shame? Absolutely not. He is faithful. When, when this was written, this was hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born as a human. And God fulfilled the, this promise, and he has fulfilled all his promises, and he will continue to fulfill his promises. And he tells us, whoever believes in him, him being the cornerstone, the cornerstone being Jesus, Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Let's live for him. Let's take those risks. Let's swallow our pride. Let's do the things that God has called us to do. Let's obey the things that we know we're supposed to obey. You know what's, what's sad? This isn't part of my sermon notes. I'm just speaking off the cuff, so uh, I might edit this out of the sermon later, depending on how this comes out. When I became a Christian, when I was 17, oh my goodness, if I could have that zeal again, if I could have, I'm, I'm glad I don't have the level of maturity I had back then, but I wish I could have that passion. I wish that I could have that longing. I hope and pray that God restores that to me. But when I became a Christian, I just thought that Christians were supposed to tell their friends and family about Jesus. So you know what I did? I know this is a shocker. I told my friends and family about Jesus. Now, the way I was telling them without maturity, for some of them, I regret the way that I did that. It, there was not much gentleness or love. There was a whole lot of I'm right and I know I'm right. And me knowing I was right without maturity meant that I really wanted people to see that I was right. And so people who were already on the verge of getting saved, when I would tell them in boldness and in truth about what God's Word said, people kept getting saved. It was amazing. I don't even remember how many exactly, 
But just, it, I got saved in January, and by the time I went to college, I had led like 13 of my friends to Christ. Why is that not the norm? Why aren't we all just telling our friends about Jesus? Telling our family about Jesus? And not just telling them about him, but living for him in such a way that they want a relationship with him. Where they see that what he has done in our lives, and they see the risks that we take because of the depth of our conviction, and they want him too. They want that conviction. They want that relationship. If we're in line with the cornerstone, I have to believe that there are going to be people who want what we have. What we have being a relationship with God through his son, through Jesus. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. So he's faithful and he's going to uphold his promises. So for those of you who believe, honor is coming, right? You, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And, and who in here, if, you don't have to say it, but if you know John 3.16, raise your hand for me. Right? God did what to the world? Yeah, he loved it. And his love for the world caused him to do what? He sent his son. He gave his son. And Jesus died on that cross for us so that we could have a relationship with the Father. So that we could be, that relationship that we broke with our sin could be restored. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we know that. And we know that. But sometimes we view the world like it's an enemy that cannot be won over. Sometimes we view the world, and I get it, the whole world is, is not going to be saved. I understand. I understand the scripture. But there are going to be a remnant from every people group. There's going to be a remnant from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And how do you think they're going to get saved? We're going to tell them. Think about how Jesus did this. Jesus preached to the crowds, he preached to the masses, but very few of those people actually became followers of Jesus. They, few of them became disciples of Jesus. He poured into the few, the twelve, and one of them wasn't with him. And of those eleven, when he died on the cross and rose again and ascended into heaven... Why did he come when he came? And why did he choose this process of just pouring into a few, like deeply pouring into a few? When he could have come in a time when there was radio or television or internet, and he could have broadcast truth to the whole world. Why didn't he wait to come until now? I don't have all the reasons, but here's what I know. He's God and he knows what's best, and he chose to come in the fullness of time. He chose to come when he came. And he chose to do things differently than I probably would have done them. He poured his heart and his soul and his discipleship 
and his love into these men and a few others on the fringes. And when he ascended, he didn't come back and hold their hand through it all. He didn't come back and say, okay, now here's what you do next. He sent his spirit. And his spirit came and indwelled those men. And those men lived for him. And they obeyed him. And what he did for them, they did for others. And somewhere along the line, this continues to happen. But every once in a while, there's a lag. Like our internet in the sanctuary this morning. It's not working exactly how it should. And I love this church. But we've dropped the ball somewhere. Where are our young adults? Look around. If, if, if you, do me a favor. If you are under 30 years old in here, will you raise your hand? If you're under, if you're between 30 and 40, will you raise your hand? Okay. Now, if you're over 40, will you raise your hand? So, if you're under 40, you can't blame someone. You have to take responsibility for your own relationship with God, right? But at the same time, for the pastor, for those who are over 40, we have a responsibility to reach the next generation. And some of you probably saw my, my Facebook post this week where I shared a friend, Steve Masters, who's at LSU. Um, he's, he's been there for like 30, 40 years. He's been there a long time. Um, doing ministry on campus through the BSU there, or what do they call them in Louisiana. And um, he said... The, when I worked at UAM, at orientation, students filled out what are called uh, religious preference cards. So I'm Baptist. I, I give permission for the Baptist organization to contact me, or I'm Methodist or whatever. And so at the orientation for LSU this week, they had those options. And there's also an option for I'm none. I don't want anybody to contact me. He said that the amount of nuns this year were so incredibly greater than any year before that it was shocking to him. And parents have an opportunity, not that um, they can give permission for, like, me, the BCM, when I was at the BCM. They couldn't give permission for me to send their kids stuff, but they could say, I'm Baptist. <laughs> I have a child that goes here. I would like to receive information. And then if they chose, they could give that information to them. He said, even the parents are nuns. And so we have a responsibility. It's our job to stand up and to point them in the direction of the cornerstone. It's our job to make sure that they are in line with, with what Scripture says. First of all, to make sure that we are in line, that we have the right relationship with Him. But what can we do to reach the next generation? What can we do to reach people who are under 50? What can we do to reach people who are under 30? What can we do to reach people who are children? It used to be that if you reach the children, then you could reach the family. How many of y'all remember a time like that in church? 
Those days are over. We have to reach the parents. We have to reach the children. We have to do both. And we can't sit here and wait for them to come to us because they're not coming. We are a holy priesthood. And we're not priests to stay in the building. In Exodus 19, 5 and 6, he says, You are my treasure possession among all nations, for all the earth is mine. It's all his. It's our job to go and tell. So what happens if we don't tell? So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone, Jesus, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's for those who believe. And for those who do not believe, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. What does this mean? You know John 3.16. Do you know the next couple of verses? Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to do what? To save it. He didn't have to come to condemn the world because the world was already condemned. If we, as the holy priesthood, as people who have a relationship with Jesus, who God has called to go out, if we don't go tell people, Jacob, Sean, Randy, If y'all don't go tell your friends, they might not know. And your time in school is is closing to it's drawing to a close. You only have so much time. And you you're looking forward to the next season of life, but every season as it comes, we can't go backwards. We can't change the opportunities that we've missed. How many of you that are over fifty know the truth of what I just said? How many of you have regrets of things that you should have done differently? People you should have told about Jesus. We can't change the past, but we can start doing what we need to do right now. So let's do it. He is the cornerstone. Let's make sure that we're in line with him. And let's make sure that he's not a stumbling block. That we're not tripping over the very thing that's supposed to be giving us direction. But if we disobey his word, if we hate his word, if we ignore his word, and we can love reading God's word and love what it's all about, but not obey it, and it's a stumbling stone. And and we're distracting others from what things should really be like. And so here's what I want to say. Thank you to all of you in here who have shared Jesus with people. Thank you to all of you in here who have been faithful in living out your lives. And I know how hard it can be to know exactly what to do in each season of life and to know how to act and know how to react to the world around us and to know how to be proactive in in reaching people for Jesus and loving people the way that God has called us to love. And I know that you've made mistakes, and I've made mistakes. I know that. But we are living stones. And God is building something. And we get to be a part of it. And I want to be a part of it. I want to see what he can do through a people who are surrendered to him. And I think that that, all, that means all of us have to search our hearts. All of us has to, have to ask God what, what needs to change in my life. And we all need to move forward in obedience. Individually and as a church, we have to do the same thing. 
as leaders, we have to ask God, what's next? What have we been focusing on that we need to, to change our priorities? What do we have to do differently? Because I can promise you if we don't do something differently, we're, we're going to continue to get the same result. And so we have to see what is still fruitful and what do we not need to divorce. We don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm not saying we change everything, but for individuals and for our church, what changes need to take place in order for us to be the church, the body, the holy priest that God has called us to be? And I believe that the first key is, back in the beginning of this sermon, is we have to be thirsting for pure spiritual milk. And if we're not, that's the starting place. That's what needs to change. We need to get on our knees. We need to get on our faces. We need to cry out to God. We need to be persistent in, in, in our prayers and ask him over and over, God, please do this for me. We see it in the Psalms. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. D is that true of you? Does your soul long after him? Or do we care more about what's next on television or the next sporting event? Do, do our souls long after him? Do our hearts break when we see young people not coming to know Jesus? Do our hearts break when we see another elderly friend who passes away without ever having faith in Jesus? Do our hearts break for things that break his heart? Do our souls long after him? If not, let's ask God to give us a, a thirst and a longing for pure spiritual milk and ask that he would fulfill that through his word, through his church, through whatever ways that he is using to, to teach you and guide you. We've come to our time of invitation. I hope I've made it clear that Jesus is the cornerstone and we need to be in line with him. And when we're in line with him, we're pointing other peoples that are next in line on how they're supposed to be pointed. But when we're not, things aren't so clear. And so we need to make sure that we're in line with what Jesus desires. And if we are, and if we're longing for him, then let's ask him to make changes, to use us to do great things for his glory. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. God, I just pray that you would show us what we need to do right this second. Lord, how do we need to respond to you? What are you calling us to do? Give us a thirst for you and fulfill that thirst with your son, with, with your word. And show us how to love the people around us and help us to live out our faith in such a real way that the people around us desire and long for a relationship with you. And God, we pray that you would be with um, us as we strive to reach the next generations. It's in Jesus' name we pray. You respond to God in whatever way he's leading you. I'll be right down here. If you need me to pray with you or you need someone to talk to, then come and, and I'm right here. Or if you want to come to the altar and pray, you respond to God in whatever way he's leading. Let's stand and sing.